Hey guys, welcome into the Happy Haven once again. Uh, today we have Rhiannon Owen, um, super cool artist, does trading cards for Marvel, Star Wars, and DC. I'm sure there's other stuff that we'll get to that she applies her art to, but um, for now, let's just give a Haven welcome to uh, Rhiannon. Hey everybody, what's going on? <laughs> So what's good? You had any cons come up recently? I know everybody's been kind of busy in the comic world this summer. Uh, yeah, actually, I just got home um, a week ago Tuesday. I did San Diego Comic Con and then Tampa Bay Comic Con back-to-back, and two weeks prior to that, I was at Denver Comic Con. Good Lord. Yeah, very busy. Sounds it? Yeah, all good, though. <laughs> so how, how does one get into doing uh, the actual trading cards for the for the two big houses and of course the monster that is Star Wars. Well, um I've been doing it for close to 9 years. Uh December will be 9 years for me and uh I had a friend who was already doing some trading card work um back in 2008 uh when I got my first invitation. So the first company I worked for was Rittenhouse Archives who at the time had a license for Marvel. Uh they don't any longer. Um, but my friend knew that I was a huge X-Men fan and, uh, he knew that their next project was going to be X-Men archives. So he suggested that I do some samples, um, in order for me to get some work. And he contacted their art director, whose name is Robert. And, um, Robert liked my work enough and sent me the invite. And, uh, during one of our first conversations, uh, Robert and I, I told him, you know, I was really excited to work on an official property and um, that my goal was to have my artwork be in ads and, you know, the solicitations for the product. Yeah. Um, and he liked my work enough that on that very first project, um, a picture I did of Storm, um, he used it on the back of the promo cards. It was in um, a bunch of color, full, full page color ads in Marvel Comics. Um, and they used another one um, for uh, the, the Diamond Previews, the giant magazine where you can order product. Um, yeah. They had a full-page color ad in that, so my work was there also. Um, and Star Wars, uh, which the cards are produced by the, the top... Oh, I lost you again. And we're back. And um, we're back. I can edit. Pain in my butt. Um, Jason was working for them as well. Who? Uh, Jason Sobel. Yeah, but I mean, no, I mean, it, it cut out. All I heard was, oh. and then was Star Wars, and then it stopped. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, Jason was working for Star Wars as well, and uh, he did the same thing where he had me do some some samples and uh, forwarded it to their art director, whose name was David Waldeck at the time, and uh, David sent me the invite. So the first two major companies that I worked for handled both Marvel and uh Star Wars. Um, and since the Rittenhouse used my artwork for solicitations, it got me a lot of attention straight out the gate. Nice. Um, yeah, Rittenhouse also did DC at the time. So my first invite was for X-Men Archives. And then the second project I did uh, was uh, Wolverine, X-Men Origins Wolverine, which was a really small release for the movie, mm-hmm. which we won't talk about the movie. Boo, his boo. And then... Um, they did a Justice League project later that year. So I nailed Marvel, DC, and Star Wars all within the first year and a half of me doing trading cards. Wow. Yeah, I was really lucky at the time. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So, like, did you... Obviously, you grew up loving comics. Yes. I, I figured that's a given. Yeah, um, um, I taught myself how to draw people by copying panels out of old X-Men comics. Nice. So, do you have a favorite um, artist that you followed when, when you were younger and, and were reading the books, or...? Um, when I was younger, uh, Mark Silvestri was penciling the X-Men. I came in right around the time of the fall of the mutants in 1987. Yep. Um, and I think he had just been working on the book for a couple of months at that point, maybe a year or so. And, um, I went back and, and collected some trade paperbacks. And so I, you know, read the dark Phoenix saga and fell in love with John Byrne, um, which then of course branched out into alpha flight. Um, I have and then, a bunch of those. Yeah, and then uh, they were doing the classic X-Men, which were the reprints of the older stories from when the new team started. I have a bunch of uh, those. <laughs> yeah, and, and so Arthur Adams was doing the covers, yep. um, and I really, really, really loved his work. Um, so as a kid, uh, Sylvester Byrne and, and Adams were my art heroes as far as comic art went. Um, and then, of course, I've, I've added to the list as I've gotten older um, because I, I started collecting seriously. I don't know why it keeps doing that. Anyway, um, that's a pain in the butt. I can actually tell when you're getting ready to come on because there's like this weird sound flare right before your microphone comes back on. Oh, good. It'll uh, go it dead make... silent and then it's like... and then you That's so weird. I don't know why it keeps doing that. Um Jim Lee took over in the 90s, and he really, uh, I I really fell in love with his work as well. So that really tight, super detailed, um, you know, way of drawing uh, just everything. And then, of course, the backgrounds and the dynamic poses and the group shots, all of it, um, it stuck. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, I've I've read X-Men since forever, and I've gone back and gotten the older stuff, but... For me, my favorite era is when Jim Lee and Chris Claremont relaunched it. Yeah. I mean, the art, the stories, the team that they used, um, the depth of the characters they went into, um, that's my favorite era of X-Men. And I guess it's maybe because that's when I was coming into who I was going to be, you know, when yeah. it came out. Um, you know, it, it hit my generation, I guess, at the perfect time, so I've always... That's always been my preferred era, is the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont era for X-Men. Yeah. Well, another great thing, too, is um, it's, it's you know, it's a perfect blending of the five original members and then all of the newer members um, who kind of gained their popularity in the 80s. So it's almost like, you know, the period between, um, I guess, Paul Smith and, and uh, John Romita Jr., you know, up until Mark Silvestri, that that chunk is kind of what established, you know, Psylocke and Dazzler and, and Shadowcat and Nightcrawler um, after Giant Size when the new team came in. And it's almost like if you were to take that decade out and just go from, you know, the Byrne era and the and the Paul Smith era and then just jump to the Jim Lee, it's almost like the the original team comes back and it blends perfectly with all of these characters who established themselves in that, right. that little period, um, which I thought was amazing. Cause I really enjoyed the original five, um, and uh, you know the the changes that the characters went through 
um, you know, Phoenix being Phoenix and then turning out it wasn't Phoenix the clone. Spoiler. Yeah, um, right. Uh, That's okay. The new X Men trope is that it was all a time loop. So at the end of every story, they can just reset it back to nothing really happened. And I hate, um, I, I just tweeted, I think yesterday, that I, I kind of hate the way they do that these days where everything just gets rebooted. There's like a storyline in and it jumps back to a number one. Um, it's mildly irritating. Well, both houses have resorted to, uh, let's tell a story for two years and then we'll burn the whole universe down and start everything back at zeros and number one issues. It's like both of the big ridiculous. houses are kind of nefarious for that. They're like, oh, let's do a cataclysmic rebirth crisis on all Earths, Mother M, this, that, this, and that every two years, and you're like, well, okay. I've actually found myself more and more into more indie more. comics in the past couple of years because of that. And I think a lot of indie comics have thrived because of that because they stay away from that format and the unfortunate thing too is is that nothing's really canon anymore because you never know what's going to stick and what isn't right and i think that's what i miss about the older stories you know you were really establishing you were establishing some real you know core character traits and Mm -hmm. uh you know things that led to story arcs way down the line um you know exactly there was room to breathe and there was payoff like, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, those those readers that would go back and pay attention to those details and, you know, brag to their friends, ooh, something big is coming, you know, the payoff was when the next big storyline came along out of that, you know, really hardcore fans, you know, got to say, I told you so, you know, I, I saw that coming. Um, and, and it just kind of seems like anymore it's, you know, things you're either going to tie into the media, which isn't always bad, but also isn't always good. Um, right. And then it, it's just all, it, it, it's erasable. It, it, it just doesn't matter as much. Well, for me, it's funny. It's like Marvel flipped. Like, in the 80s and 90s, the comics were amazing and were so good. And the media attempts were, eh, at best. And now it's yeah. like the movie stuff, the TV stuff, the Netflix stuff is like, holy crap. And then the comics are like... Eh? <laughs> like, it's just it's kind of inverted on itself. It's it's kind of weird because I remember I, being like, I can't wait to see all this on screen and da 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 da. And now you can, but then you go and you read the books and you're like, ah, pass. Who's that guy? Why is he doing that? Why is this guy a bad guy now? What's the what's the swap on this story? Who did the like you you? I, I was talking to a. You know, I've had a bunch of different comic book people on, people who actually work for Marvel and DC, and then people who work on the indie labels. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about, you know, trying to collect some of the newer stuff and getting back into collecting again after a long hiatus. Yeah. And, like, you know, I, I can't imagine me with the knowledge that I have from an entire almost lifetime spent reading and collecting to walk in and be like, hey, uh, can I get this? And you turn around and you look and you're like, why are there 18 different versions of Batman for just this month? Right. Why are there, you know, like, why are there seven flashes and there's three different Wolverine books? Didn't they kill him last year? What is, oh, okay, so they just went to the, like I said, the X-Men with the time travel thing. How do we get Wolverine back? Uh, He comes from the future. Old man Logan is now leading an X team, apparently. And I'm like, but doesn't that defeat the purpose of you killing Logan last year? 
Like, if he's not dead, then why did we invest in this death of Wolverine side story, but now he's back, he's just old? Absolutely. It's like everything... (laughs) It's a tease or a bait and a switch. You know, you get all amped up for this major story with this huge, you know, cathartic or cataclysmic ending, and then it just gets erased or kind of swept under the rug like it either didn't matter or didn't happen. Um, So a lot of times I think fans feel duped. Um, right. And and I'm sure that there's some marketing involved in that. You know, they, they have to push it and make it a big deal so that people get invested in it. Well, that's but the, it'll sell. Yeah, but then once they make that investment, you know, where's the payoff? You know, what was the point of being invested if there's no, you know, no real turnaround? Because there's no uh, ripple in the books or there's no real, uh, you know, major change Um you know, in in the teams or the stories or, or the personalities of the team members who lost Wolverine or whatever. Right. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting that they finally made Storm and Wolverine a couple right before he died. Um, and there were some interesting moments, you know, after he passed away uh, in Storm's, you know, kind of character where there's like a scene, I think, she and Beast have to fly up into space so that she can emotionally vent her devastation without, you know, hurting the Earth's atmosphere. Um, you know, but back in the day when something tragic happened, you know, like when Jean supposedly died during the Dark Phoenix saga, um, you know, everybody was affected by it. And it really kind of had a lot to do. It, it shaped the way the team changed. It shaped, exactly. you, know, you know, how the characters kind of moved forward and how serious. And I mean, even even like back in 1974 when Gwen Stacy died, that was such a profound, you know, moment for for Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Right. And now it's just like, oh, well, we found a way to bring her back. And oh, you know, and she's a spider person. Right. And because because in her universe, Peter Boo. Parker died. Boo. Um, I'm tired of all that crap. In my universe, and no, it it is what it is. Like, I hate the burning down and the rewritings of history. And, oh, I lost you again. I agree, completely. Like, yeah, like, I mean, and I understand that there's this push for inclusion, which is fine, but don't you guys, like, create things? Can't we? Like, my thing is, if you want more things represented, if you want more populations represented, don't give them a six-month retcon that's going to be reversed. Don't give them a, oh, well, here, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do a storyline for a couple years where you get to have Thor be, be you know, what, what what's her name? The, isn't it his, wow, I completely brain farted his little Earth woman's name. Completely. Jane. Jane, right. I almost said Sarah Jane, and I'm like, no, that's a Doctor Who companion. Um, You know, like, instead of that, why don't you give Sif her own book, an already established female badass? Right. Like, why retcon it where you know people are just going to get mad? And, you know, and, and but then for the people who, like, these books mean something to them, when you make crazy changes or you retcon a character to fit, like, a temporary social narrative... You're, you're alienating people, and then, of course, the internet being the giant open maw of toxic bullcrap that that is constantly. You have these people who've loved these comics for years, and they just get, like, destroyed on the internet by people who are like, 
their only answer is to call them some sort of Neolithic sloping forehead caveman <laughs> or, or you know, the, the defiant hand in the face to deal with it mentality that takes over every bad decision in the world today. And it's like, get creative again. Like, you have these legacy characters. Let the legacy characters be legacy like. characters. But show your creativity. If you want more, you know, communities involved, give them their own characters that are just as awesome as the legacy characters that you're temporarily changing. I agree. You and know? Another conversation on, on, on that same vein um, that I had also on Twitter recently within the last couple of months was, you know, it's great that you're wanting to include these minorities and minority groups, but instead of creating new characters and breathing fresh life into things and, and having them be their own entities, you know, uh, on top of being minorities or representative of minorities or minority groups, you they end up just rehashing pre-established characters and making uh, either a female version of or a minority version of that's taken over this mantle um, and in a way, like to me, it feels a little bit like pandering. Exactly. That's um, not diversity to me. You're, you're not being open-minded and diverse. You're going, who's complaining on social media? Which group needs a, a hero? Uh, give, them, give them the thing. Let's make right. the thing purple and 18 genders for a six-month arc, and they'll quit crying. And then we'll uh, just wipe it away and make it like it didn't happen and go exactly. back. Exactly. That, that's where the pandering is. Like, like this whole thing with, um, you know, they were like, oh, we're going to have black Captain America. No, other people, including Falcon, have taken on the mantle of Captain America before. I find I, it more insulting that you're pushing diversity by making the sidekick the hero. And then at the end of that arc, they go back to being the sidekick again. So what are you telling people that diversity is only giving people a moment in the sun, but then they have to go back in the shadow eventually. Like, Right, or you know, that they're not strong enough to stand on their own and be their own entity. They have right. to assume or be assimilated into this other... Yeah, exactly. They have to be assimilated into it until... And I am as far from SJW friendly as you can get. Um, <laughs> I, I am. I don't treat anybody with... I don't treat anybody less than I would want to be treated... Right. Until until they earn it, but like the whole social justice warrior, that is just for me wreaking havoc on basically every form of of entertainment. What um, when it gets hysterical, you know? But like wanting to be represented, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But retconning a character for a temporary story arc it is not being represented. It's them basically giving you a lollipop and telling you to be quiet for a little while. You know, they're not really bringing who you are and what you want to see represented in your hero books. They're not really bringing it into the forefront. They're letting you have a temporary, like, you know, being sated for Five a story minutes, arc. 15 minutes of fame. Right. And then the white yeah. patriarchal figure is going to take over. I again. agree. And he's going to be like, move. You know, us Aryans got to get some stuff done. <laughs> and I'm and I'm saying this as an anti super left wing blonde haired blue eyed guy myself. Like I can see why people get pissed off at that. Yeah. Hey, you know, like 
I can totally see why people who love the books forever get pissed off at it because it, it, it aggravates me. Yeah. But, but then at the same time, I can see why these groups that are striving for representation, they're happy now. But when Marvel and, and DC, because DC does it too, when they reset their universes, they're going to be like, well, that was quick and fun. Yeah. Another thing too is... Back to the sidekick um, role! Like... <laughs> Um, I recently read, uh, a, an, again, all of this seems to be happening on Twitter. Um, of course. Someone posted a link to a, an article saying that a young Asian actress had been confirmed for the role of Rogue in X-Men Dark Phoenix, which will be the next installment of this current trilogy with the new character. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I lost you again. The aggravating thing about that is, is you know, and I, I said this almost verbatim, you know, that one of the cornerstones of the X-Men's history is the fact that they are built on having such a diverse cultural, um, you know, group of characters who are not only, you know, from different ethnic backgrounds, but who are also, you know, they're, they're also LGBT and, and even things like, you know, Kitty Pryde, um, you know, having different religious backgrounds or whatnot. Um, right. No need... To, to take a pre-established character and change her ethnicity when you have other characters who are Asian or, you know, haven't been included yet but could be, like Karma from the New Mutants or Sun, Sunfire, who is right. Japanese. Um, you know, and it just, it, again, it just seems like, okay, great, you're paying attention. You hear that, that people want, you know, other, you know, non-white characters represented, but... You have so many options in place already. You don't have to change someone like Rogue, who has always been um, a Southern you know, Belle, a, a white girl from the South. Yeah, uh, I mean, e even Psylocke, who started out as a British model and turned out to be a, a ninja assassin after Jim Lee got a hold of the character. Right. You know, do that. Uh, if if you really want to have a field day with changing, I'll tell you what the most egregious thing I've seen, and people who listen to the show, and I, I've held back putting my opinion on Twitter because I really just don't need the crap storm that comes with it. Yeah. But the most pandering bullcrap thing I've seen this week is Domino for Deadpool two. Yeah, I, I came across that, and and in my I, heart I was like, no, and then in my brain I was like, don't you say it. Well, to me, you know, when she started, uh, it was copycat, and copycat was a morph. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so they made this big leap. Okay, I get it. Maybe they'll work copycat into that somehow, and that'll be, you know, the justification for such a big change. No, you know exactly what they're doing. I I always go into it open-minded whether I have, you know, certain suspicions or not. And and to be honest, I mean, as much as I've invested my time and money into my collection and my years of, of loving these characters, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter what I say or think. They're going to do what they want anyway. And right. Fox, and Fox, as we know, has a long history of completely just going, let's throw this all in a pot, shake it up as much as we can and see what comes out. Yeah, let's do an X-Men movie. They're all going to have a leather fetish for the next ten years worth of movies. <laughs> costumes? What costumes? Right. Like, and Marvel came out the gate. I'll give it to them. Marvel came out the gate, and they were like, this is what they look like. We'll do slight alterations. Like, Hawkeye is probably the most altered from his look. 
But I, honestly, outside of the books, I don't think big giant purple cuffed boots and that mask would work. Well, I but I they let everybody else just be them. Like even DC's yeah. like, give them their costumes, mute them by fifty percent, but give them their costumes. Yeah. And make everybody on Xanax because they're so freaking depressed they have superpowers. (laughs) I think what they do is is pretty clever because, you know, unless they're doing a period piece like Captain America or the new Wonder Woman movie, um, you know, things have to be updated. You know, those those big cuffed pirate boots and those giant outdated cat eye 60s, you know, eye masks that the girls all wore, you know, they're dated. So they're not going to look like they make sense or that they're relevant. And let's be honest, a lot of that stuff in combat is not practical. So I think, oh. they, you know, they, they take that into consideration as well. In you comics, mean like the female RPG armor that's basically a bikini, but when you put it on a guy, it's like this spiked hell armor? Well, yeah. But you put it on a chick and it's like a sash over the cooch and then like a bikini top, and you're like, oh, okay, that absorbs way more arrows. <laughs> Drink for saying cooch. Um, I... I go into the movies with an open mind because I I know that they have to be updated. They have to be made relevant for the time. Um, But at the same time, you know, like with the situation with Domino, um, I at least try to keep an open mind until I actually see the movie and see what's done. Right. Um, You know, like, I'll be honest. Storm is my favorite character ever. I've always thought that she was very cleverly written. She's a very strong. Yep. Oh, no. She's a very strong female character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a great power set, I think, which has developed, you know, a little over the years. Um, but then in the movies, she's so watered down, and she seems so, you know, just weak of character. Uh, and, and as much as I think Holly Berry, you know, is great for some people to look at, she had no business. No whatsoever. I almost uh, left the first X-Men movie. I actually got, um, well, let's see, I had gotten out of the army and was doing Renaissance festivals and um, I forget where we were. I think we were in the Arizona show, so we were near Phoenix and we got free passes to go check the movie out. um, Yeah. A a preview weekend before it actually came out in the theaters. And I actually almost got up and left um, when she did the, do you know what happens when lightning hits a frog? I was like, what the hell? That was the single most anti-climatic, worst one-liner in the history of superhero cinema. And, Cringe. And as much as I love that character, when I, I literally screamed what the F in the theater at the top of my lungs. Exactly. Um, it was so just not eloquent, not something she would say. And, and, and I think, you know, these X-Men, the, the first run of X-Men movies tried to kind of uh, play off of the ultimate universe which was going on at the time so you know Jean and uh, Scott and Storm were you know all the same age then and kind of had come in around the same time yeah uh, from the ultimate universe they but, killed Cyclops with a kiss in that trilogy that's all I have to say <laughs> well some some interesting side side notes to that um, James Marsden uh, was doing Superman Returns uh <laughs> while that, while yeah. the third X-Men movie was being <laughs> filmed. So he, he had a schedule conflict. Patrick Stewart was involved uh, producing something, so he had a schedule conflict. Anna Paquin was involved in another project. So Ugh, all the worst that had, ever. Like, 
she all the characters that had like zero screen time and no presence or got killed off super early, it was because that was all the time they had to film, you know, the, right. the parts that they did. I'm and, sorry, and, I hated Anna Paquin's Rogue so much. Um, well, again, another really great character who had a lot of really rich, you know, parts to who she is was completely watered down. Yeah, um, I'm a sulky girl who can't touch my boyfriend. Right. Not, I have Miss Marvel's powers, bitches. I could punch the Sentinel into pieces and fly. <laughs> no, we got the, I don't want my powers no more. I can't touch a boy. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, because they essentially say that because she is, you know, unable to be physically intimate with a man, she's not worth much. Or she feels like she has nothing to offer. Um, so they were sending a much bigger message with that by itself as well. But, I mean, if they weren't going to go into the Morlocks at all, then they really should have just substituted her with Jubilee and gone with the X-Men animated series where Jubilee is Wolverine's, you know, mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, absolutely. If they weren't going to go into her working with the Morlocks before finding the X-Men, her doing what she did to Miss Marvel under the command of the Morlocks, you know what I mean? Like, no, they just have this sulky girl with a bad southern accent who just pouts through literally three movies. I think part of the problem was, you know, Anna Paquin comes in with an, with an Oscar, you know, Holly Berry wins one while, while they're in the middle of the first trilogy. And it's like, well, we just have all these high profile people, um, you know, working on this project. Don't you want right. to see these great actors? It was about who was involved, not what they were doing or what was being said. I don't even remember the, uh, what is it? The, what was the third one called? The last stand. Um, yeah, it was X-Men 3, phoning it in. That one was good. That, that, <laughs> that was great. Let's, let's show Marrow and uh, not name the character or give a pretense. Let's give all the mutants that you wanted to see, and we'll give them a 30-second clip in a camp in the woods with Scout Leader Magneto. Like... Yeah, and then the whole Gene thing, saying... The Phoenix had been there the whole time. I mean, they... I, I have said numerous... I hope that Fox releases, you know, the license again. Or at least is able to share it, like Sony just did with the Spider-Man movie with Marvel Studios. Right! Like, quit and being I, I, such I would, dicks with properties. It's stupid. Yeah, I would love to see a, a rebooted X-Men trilogy and just start with the original five. And then in the second movie, you can introduce, you know, Polaris and Havoc... And then in the third one is when you do, you know, the the giant-sized X-Men, basically, with Krakoa, the Living mm-hmm. Island, and then you introduce the new team, and that completely sets you up for a whole other trilogy based on new characters. Um, it's like, it's... I, I get that they don't want to just repeat what's already been done in the books, but there's so oh, Spider-Man much, franchise. Right? There's so much perfect groundwork already laid even to make a few minor changes if you just follow you know the you know if you just follow the cornerstones of what's already been laid you know been been put out before it uh it's like even with the walking dead you know they they do a really good job of changing just enough to be yes. fresh yes but they do they, they they are very faithful um to you know the parts that matter are done very well yeah, like and Carol. Kept. Yeah. 
Carol's a good example of a change that worked. Daryl, who was never even in the books, period, but has become right. an integral part of the cast. You know, there's, there's two examples of changes that work that people don't hate. But, you know, Carl getting shot in the face. Oh, that's um, so good. You know, uh, Lori and the baby, or Lori dying. Um, you know, when Hey, she Judith isn't supposed to be around. They both take a shotgun blast at the prison in the books. Yeah, and, and even Carol in the prison gives herself to a walker. See, I was going to say, I would love to meet Robert Kirkman one day just to hug him and be like, dude, big ups on retcon and Carol. Right? I hated her in the books, and she's like my favorite part of the show. I think that she's an example of someone who started out as a really weak person and kind of found her footing and rose to the occasion. She's a perfect, rounded character who... You know, you're just kind of like, why is she even a part of this? And then you just watch her turn into, you know, scarrel badass. <laughs> because she's the perfect story of what feminists should look up to. I'm going to start as a literally quiet, mousy, abused, broken woman. And I'm going to become someone who I would rather pick a fight with Rick Grimes than Carol. Like, well, and, and and also, you know, she's a good example of rising above, you know, adversity. Exactly. Um, you know, when, when her husband gets killed and, you know, she kind of has that cathartic moment where she puts the pickaxe through his skull yeah. uh, before he comes back to life. Several uh, times. Yeah. And then, and then she loses Sophia. Uh, it's kind of like, okay, I have nothing left to lose. I'm either going to lay down and die or I'm going to, you know, get a backbone and I'm going to pull my weight. And she pulls her weight. And there's a lot of really good moments with her afterwards where she mm-hmm. helps move the moves. I think any real nerd who follows or, or any real fan of any of the genre follows, you know, how these things are doing. They're they're looking at all these other, you know, franchises and properties and going, what the hell, Fox? You know, why, why, why you got to be a bastard? Right. Like, why can't you just get it right? Um, the storm for Apocalypse uh, uh, was really good. I liked her. I hated that they gave Apocalypse credit for giving her her white hair because that was part yes. of heritage as a character. That was my well. Only... Why not? Magneto gave Rogue hers. Well, th- there's that, um, and maybe that was a nod to that first trilogy crap. But that was really my only nitpicky part. I, I like that she could speak Egyptian. Um, I like that you know she was be you know she was running with the other thieves and. Uh, she had her mohawk. Yeah, which, of course, you know, big deal for me. I miss mine. The first image of Storm I ever saw, she had the mohawk. So, of course, that yep. was a big deal for me. Yeah. Nice 80s X-Men cover with her little badass mohawk rocking. I miss mine. I used to have one. It was baby blue. Baby blue. That's a very interesting color. Yeah. You know, us Boston punkers. <laughs> so, what... um. What what books do you love, or or what what team, or or what universe do you do you follow more than any? Right now, honestly, yeah. I got super sucked into IDW's run on Ninja Turtles. Okay. Um, and but uh, like I said, I find myself outside of the two big houses. Um, just finished up Fables and Lock and Key. Uh, working my way through Why the Last Man right now. And um, Ron Mars just launched a book called Dread Gods, and I got to read the first one, and that's definitely going to be a series I end up following. Sweet. But for teams, I think my favorite team 
would be exactly what we started the conversation on. It's that uh, Jim Lee, Chris Claremont, X-Men team. Um, Batman has a special affinity and always has. Um, Tom King's run right now, his rebirth run, is up to issue 28. And I've never read a Batman book that's made me cry more than once. Um, that dude can write comics like I've never seen. And his run on Batman right now is absolutely epic. So I'm, uh, you know. I'm kind of out of the loop. I, I moved last year and have not yet found a, a place here in Mississippi um, to get a pull at. So I'm, I am severely behind, um, and so I'm kind of living vicariously through a lot of people in, in at the moment. Um, and, and unfortunately, I'm really nostalgic and sentimental, so I always love geeking out and talking about the older stuff. So people are like, oh, shut up, old lady, you're dated. No, I can do that all day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I just, I remember when I was a kid, my mom brought a comic home for me. Um, I think I'd done well on a test or something, and... Uh, you know, she she knew that I I like to draw and and comics are you know basically art with words on them. Um, so she she brought a couple home and X Men Uncanny X Men two twenty four was the first issue of X Men I ever got. Right. And on the very first page um, is a picture of Storm with her mohawk like standing in the middle of this like snow snow blanketed forest um, just all by herself. And I just remember opening that book going I want to be her when I grow up. Yeah. Um. And I kind of am in a way. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I wanted to be Spawn, but I don't want to have to sell my soul to Malbolgia. Yeah, that's a bit. That's a bit extreme. But Spawn was like my teenage angsty book, where I was like, "Yeah, burn the system." But <laughs> uh, no, I. I've always wanted to be Batman, um, and yeah. not for the money and not for the gadgets. It's I. I am one of those people that when I have a conviction, it stays, even if the world wants to burn me alive for it. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, that's Batman down to his core. It's justice and right and wrong in the face of, you know, anything. Uh, popularity yeah. doesn't matter. The rest of your team agreeing with you doesn't matter. Your own son being alienated by a stand you take doesn't matter. Right and wrong is right and wrong. And, you know, I mean, like I said earlier, I went in the military and, you know, I'm obviously big on you know my two big favorites are Punisher and Batman which is funny because one doesn't kill and one kills does, a lot <laughs> does what would solve a lot of the world's problems in a real world application it would just be messy um, so you know my I was always informed on stuff like that I think that's why I like the X-Men so much too is is yes, it's about right and wrong, but there's so much social commentary. Absolutely. Put in, you know, like you don't have to agree with everybody to get along with them. You don't have to agree with everybody to not respect them because you have a difference of opinion. I, I think a lot of the lessons of the X Men could really be applied to society by and large today. Well, you know? I think part of what makes them a great team is the fact, you know, there there are so many different backgrounds and views. Um, that you get a really well-rounded, objective look at something. You know, 
one member might be all gung-ho, yeah, let's go kick their face in, and then the other, you know, another member would be like, well, you know, let's look at the implications of that and what's going to happen because of it. And then someone else is like, you know, I'm feeling morally conflicted over this. I'm not sure how, how to feel about wanting to be violent, but knowing that, you know, being violent isn't always the best answer. I mean, right. I think, you know, when they're being re- really well written, you know, there's something for everybody to identify with somewhere. Yeah. And it's, it's not, not just one perspective, not, you know, uh, not just let's all just go beat a bunch of people up and see what happens later. Right. And see, and that's, for me, that would be me if I was a superhero. It would it would be – I don't think I could work on a team, but I think vigilantism would factor well into how I operated <laughs> if I was. I will remember that moving forward. No, well, because, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's you know, justice – sometimes law fails. Sometimes the justice system doesn't work. Um, you know, especially nowadays, it seems like if you're in the wrong, you have far more rights to defend yourself with than – whoever you victimize. Um, so right. I'm, I'm all about that. Like, like I am so excited for this Punisher series that's coming. Um, I really think John Bernthal, his Shane reminded me of Frank Castle. So when they said, oh, yeah, he's going to be Frank Castle, I got really happy inside. Um, John Bernthal is an amazing actor, and... I really identified with his run on this second season of Daredevil very much. I think he's the perfect Punisher. You know, big ups to Dolph Lundgren and that 80s action flick that he attempted. Um, (laughs) And then Thomas Jane and that really weird Punisher story they told that seemed more like like a one or a two shot. Let's give the new guy a crack at a book kind of story the thomas jane one it was so weird for me yeah and then you know but then this netflix like they've done with marvel pretty much out the gate they just nailed it you know when he have have you seen the the second season of daredevil yes i uh i have watched actually the only the only marvel series i haven't watched yet is luke cage Um, oh it's so good i i made the mistake of watching iron fist first and I was a little let down. I, I realized there, there needed to be a build-up, but it just seemed like he had no idea that he had this ability until the very last episode. And then suddenly, you know, he's making ripples through the floor and beating people up. Right. Um, I, I think they, they... But if you watch the other ones, they kind of do the slow burn with all of them. You know, origin-wise, because, I mean, Daredevil... Yeah, he's he's doing his thing, but he doesn't really come into it until later in the first season. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, Jessica Jones, they like dropped you after her origin story kind of thing and there was all this illusion looking backwards, which was yeah. a weird format for me. And then Luke Cage is it's kind of the same thing. Um it's uh, its own story going forward with all the stuff for people who don't who might not know who Power Man is looking backwards. Yeah. Um so Iron Fist I think is was the first, like, full-on attempt at a real origin story. You know, like... So, yeah, it definitely was... It, it, it's differently paced than the others, because I've watched everything that Netflix has done for Marvel. It was definitely yeah. it was definitely differently paced. Um, 
I mean, I th- it was good to me. Yeah. Uh, but nothing beats the second season of Daredevil for me. Um, like, just Gal, uh, you know, I love the Madam Gal character. I'm a little tired, and this may be sacrilege, because I know people love Night Nurse. I'm a little tired of how important they're making Night Nurse. Um, I think they're just using her as a vehicle to tie all the characters together. I don't know. It really pissed my wife off how much she said Sweet Christmas during the Iron Fist season. She's like, really? <laughs> so she does She does occasional appearances on the Luke Cage season, and now she gets to use his catchphrase more than he does? Like, she, she, she's like, why is she so important? And I'm like, I don't know where that thread's going. I mean, I know Night Nurse has always been there, but yeah, they're really selling her. And I wonder, like you said, I wonder if it's supposed to be the thread to yeah. all of them until the Defenders. And I wonder if it'll be like an Avengers thing, like Coulson was the thread for the, you know, the Avengers buildup. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, but then they offed him to give them a reason to be what they were. I'm really hoping that, like, all the trailers so far show that show that the Defenders, they don't want to be a team. They all think the other one's weird or annoying or da da And I don't want it to be like, well, we're going to kill Night Nurse, and that's the one that will bring them all together. Yeah. You know, because they ain't going to kill Misty Knight, because she's already, she's talking about her second season of Luke Cage. and Yeah. You know, I mean, they've got room to expand in this, unless they're going to save Trish fully becoming Hellcat for season two, and Napalm... Coming back, because Jessica Jones... It, I got more excited, almost more excited over the fact that I was like, they're using him, and they're using the pills, but they're not naming him. Yeah. And the whole time, I was telling my wife, I'm like, she's going to be Hellcat. She's going to be Hellcat. She's going to be Hellcat. And then they started alluding to it, and I was like, this is going to be a fun universe to watch. The the Netflix one, as long as they let them keep going the way they are, it'll be a fun universe to watch, because I think they get their characters more right than the movies have so far, of any house. Yeah, it's it's been really faithful, for the most part, to everything, and and I do agree that they do a lot of the slow burn build-up, which, you know, it worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., because the first season of S.H.I.E.L.D. was an absolute snooze fest, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then it just skyrocketed from season two forward and I'm even behind a season on that so I am too I I, I just uh, there's so much on TV and I, I've got it recorded on the DVR but I was like uh, Ghost Rider like that's going to be the arc is Ghost Rider I'll wait and it's not an yeah. insult to Ghost Rider but it's not Johnny Blaze and yeah. it's not in a motorcycle and so I was like, uh, like yeah and for me, I mean, because I have to look at what I'm doing, right? I don't really get to pay as much attention as I want to, so I I sometimes miss a lot of little stuff. Um, so what I do is I tend to wait until a series is just completely over, and mm-hmm. then that because then it's like one long movie, right? Exactly, binge it. I actually like like the the stuff we watch. Um, I actually get annoyed. Now, I, we're so accustomed to just being able to watch it as much as we want without commercials now that, like, we got all caught up on the turn, and now, you know, we're watching it episode by episode. And my wife, like, she's like, can we just record and then wait, and then we can watch them where we can just hit that fast-forward button and get through <laughs> it and not have to listen to, like, every phone carrier being the best one except for the one that was just on in their own commercial. Yeah. 
for 15 minutes. And, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see, like you were talking about, I'd like to see Fox um, pull its head out of its rear end with the franchises that they bought during the great buyout of the 90s. Yeah. And, I mean, even even, like, the Fantastic Four, like... Can we let the people who know how to tell these stories tell them, please, like for once? And I understand that Marvel had to do what it had to do to stay alive in the 90s. But my my thing is, and I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but like right now, all the stuff we've talked about with comics and the different lines and the divergences and the retcons and the this and the that and the universes and the time jumps and the this, it's almost like they know people will buy it. So to me... The two big houses are kind of looking like Atari right before they had to bury cartridges in a desert in New Mexico. (laughs) And I think I've heard some people say, well, that's when the indie comics will really rise. But I heard somebody make a really good counter argument on a different episode idea where they said, well, if the big houses go down, the traffic to the local comic stores is going to pretty much dry up completely. And you know, your regular bookstores aren't going to carry the indie books, so it would end up really killing almost the whole industry for a little while. And it's like, I don't know. Well, I think as with anything, nowadays people aren't, and by people I mean the companies themselves, you know, yeah. they think of themselves more like a, a singular entity. Like they, they're only concerned with, you know, what they're putting out and what they're getting from it and how much money they're making and what kind of profit and turnover they're getting. No one's really thinking about, you know, the industry as a whole and how what they're doing is impacting, you know, other parts of it and how there's a danger of implosion or a danger of, you know, the, the drying up and the people fed up and walked, walking away. Um, right. I think a lot of people that work in the industry, especially in on the media side of it, you know, they know. I mean, if comic, if, if San Diego Comic Con is any kind of example, that people will just trample over each other for five seconds, you know, just just to to look at a celebrity, let alone you know see them on screen. Um, so that's become such a huge focus that it's right. almost like the secondary, even though that's where the love of this stuff started. But see, that's the double-edged sword of it. Is like I'm so happy that nerd culture won. Um. You know, uh, coming from the 80s and the 90s when it was preppies and rich kids and jocks were the culture that won. You know, our culture won, but that lit in all the douche canoes with it. You know, it's not (laughs) just, you know know what I mean, though? Like, it doesn't belong to just us anymore. It is that vapid idiot who would literally crush a child at the chance to look at, you know, a five-second clip of something. Yeah. That completely takes away from the spirit of what these things were written to be. You know, uh, I, I look at San Diego Comic-Con and I'm like, it's not even, it's just, they, they just need to rename it, like, Trailer Fest. <laughs> and, and not I, like, you know, hey, let's go live in the trailer and get it by a tornado. I mean, like, Trailer Fest. Like, that that's all that matters is panels and... Exclusives. Right, like so. If you go in that facet, you, you you must sit in Artist Alley, then, right? Yes, I do. I mean, I'm sure it gets some traffic, but like, is it just people wandering through trying to get from one ooh ah moment to the other, or are there still like <laughs> a lot of people who are 
you know, interested in in the comic as- aspect of it. No, we. I, I personally still get a huge um, interest from people who just love the books and love the characters and love nice. the art. Cool. Yeah, um, and I think maybe that's why my perspective on some things is a little different. Um, you know, I, I, I I'm very realistic about you know what I do and in my level of success and where I'm at on the nerd totem pole. I mean, as a trading card artist, I, I still meet people who go, they still make those. Um, you know, and they think it's kind of cute. Oh, you you work in the industry, but you're not so and so, or you're not you know this person. Well, that's when you crotch kick them and walk away. As much as I would love to do that, I also don't want to get banned from a show. So, <laughs> I mean, just a little kick in the shin, well, maybe. Well, I, I, I do plan on one day doing doing a book of the things that go through my head at a convention, but I'll, I'll save that idea for when I'm ready to print it. Yes. Um, uh, but no, I, you know, I, I get just as many people who love the genre for what it is and who have been around even, even younger people who know that there's more than just the media. Um, and, and I do still get a handful of people who are like, you know, can you draw captain America, but make it look just like Chris Evans or, you know, Uh, use the movie costume. You know, they're only interested in what they see on TV or in the movie. See, I'm not in the industry, so I can be that snarky, you know, protective nerdy douchebag, I guess it can be like, you're a poser. But I also look at my position um, in, in, in a strange way as almost like an ambassador because I have the chance to educate these people and go, you know, you have a lot more options. You don't just have to make it look like what you see in the movies. And they're like, really? And then you go, yeah, you know, this character had this look back then and this look back then. And, you know, they, they did this. And they're kind of like, oh, check that out. I've even had people who have come back to my table year after year and go, you know, I I took your advice and I looked up, you know, so-and-so and, and, oh, my God, you were right. There's so much more than just what you see in the movies. And it's actually kind of like, yeah, we brought you over to the real. Whereas, you know, you still get a few people who are like, no, I just want to see what's on the movie. And those are usually, you know, those people want to just get what they know is going to be popular in the moment so they can put it on eBay and flip it. I was going to say, if you haven't seen it, you need to look up the video of... Um, George Lucas is trying to I think he's at um, the Disney Expo this year or something like that D23 yeah and and he's walking and you know people come up and they start asking well this same guy keeps handing him stuff and handing him stuff and handing him stuff and there's cameras on him and and at one point George Lucas turns around he's like I'm going to do my my best Lucas voice he's like I'm not signing anything for you anymore (laughs) and the guy's like why and he's like he gives like he busts him out in front of this whole group you need to watch it he's like this guy just made two thousand dollars off my autograph he doesn't want this all this stuff's going on ebay and and he's like if you don't want to work for a living get autographs and sell them on ebay like he just like he calls it out for what it is he's like this guy doesn't care about me he doesn't care about star wars he just doesn't want to work for a living so he's getting me to sign all this stuff and it's you know two grand or more for him for this part of the for this part of his year like, but 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 they got it on camera, and it was amazing to watch. Like, hi, I'm George Lucas, and I made Star Wars. Like, to watch him actually <laughs> like get crappy, but be completely, honestly accurate with the crappiness. Yeah. And the guy just kind of like shuffles off, like, oh. Well, I think that you know that's that's a really great moment, and also 
You know, I, I think it's important that people think we're idiots. You know, they think that we completely just don't pay attention to what we do or where our work goes or, right. you know, I, I've had people come up to me and, oh, I love your work. I love what you do. I follow you on all this social media. And then, you know, the next day, the the comic cover that I did for them at the convention ends up on eBay and they're flipping it for three times what they paid for it. Right. And, uh I had a guy once come to my table and say, you know, oh, you know, you just, I love the way you draw women. You know, these faces are really gorgeous. And I'm thinking, okay, this could go one of many ways. Mm. And he said, you know, I'd really like to get a commission from you. So we negotiated and he came back and picked it up at the end of the show that day because it was really the only one I took. And he, you know, said thank you, looked at, looked at it, oh, this is really great. And then, like, he kept walking by my table the next day. It was almost like a shark circling, like, you going to bite me? What are you doing? Because every time he would walk by, he would look, but he wouldn't say anything. And then finally on the third day, which I think was the last day of the show, he stops at the table and he goes, you know, I just keep looking at this. And the face you drew on this one, it just doesn't look like these other ones. And I'm oh. like, well, I don't. I'm like, I don't use a model, you know, I, I and getting a commission at a, at a show, right. you know, your time is limited, you know, I'm trying to make money, so it's not like I'm only taking your one commission, you know, right. I'm not charging thousands of dollars, and I'm not a, the, the high-tier industry professional that can go and, you know, sell a bunch of prints, like, I, anyway, you know, I'm trying to explain, I, you know, I have to really hustle, not saying that high-tier, you know, professionals don't, but my process is a little bit different and you know you wanted this the same day so basically you gave me a time period whereas these pieces he was looking at online were things that you know maybe um they were pieces that maybe i took a couple days to draw you know the 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 was a a little more involved and so he's like uh he said well can you fix her he asked me if i could fix her face and Mm -hmm. and i with ink and I, I work with Copic markers so it's pretty much permanent once it's on the paper right. and I said well what exactly don't you like about it he couldn't tell me what he didn't like it just didn't look like these other pictures that he had seen so you know I don't want anyone to go away unhappy and I certainly didn't want to have to give him the money back but I said alright let's do this if you hold on to this picture I will draw another one and then when the other one is finished we'll just switch him out Hold on. You're famous. No, I'm just stupid. I forgot to put my phone on mute. Nah. So. No. Hold on. (laughs) Stop ringing, for God's sake, phone. It's like theme music. That's bad theme music. Well, there's that. Jesus. All better? No, and I have to get all settled back in. I actually had to get up for that. That's really annoying. Aww. I'm old now. You are not. <laughs> no, but, I mean, yeah, that that, that kind of sucks. Well, the, the, the end to the story is... Yes, please. Is I said, you know, we'll switch them out. You just hold on to this one. Don't sell it. Because we're going to make an exchange. So I'll draw you another one, hmm. and then I'll make sure you like it. And then, and then you know, we'll we'll make a switch. That way, I don't lose any money. You get what you want. And then I end up with an extra pinup to sell. I'll just stick it in my portfolio, whatever. Right. So, you know, totally agrees. Gives me his address. Um, gives me his email so that I can send him a scan when it's done so he sees what it looks like. 
The next day, the one that he didn't like ended up on eBay. And again, he was trying to flip it for more than what he paid. You know, he had a buy it now price on it. And uh, I just sat and waited and watched for it to end. No one bought it. And then he put it up again, but then he put it up again for a higher price. Like, he kept trying to get more and more money out of it. So a year goes by, and I see him at another show. And he does the same thing. He circles my table for a couple of days, doesn't say a word. And then finally on the last day, he stops by and he's like, hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he goes, uh, did you uh, did you ever get that other piece done? You know, I'd really like to pick that up from you. And I said, oh, honey. I would have just I, drawn a hand with a middle finger. Yeah, I, I like, said, you, uh, you took the other one and we were going to make a trade, but you put it on eBay. And, and it sold eventually. So I'm not giving you a whole other free, you know, pinup for you to profit off of. The deal was that if I drew another one for you, you were going to give me the one you didn't like back, but you sold it. And he goes, you saw that? And I said, I keep track of my stuff. I'm not an idiot. You know, I know how this right. game works. There are people who legitimately like my work who will keep it forever. There are people who maybe fall under hard times and, you know, they have to make money, so they have to let certain stuff go. But then there are people like you who are just looking to try to profit off of my time and talent after you insult me over it. So, no, I don't have one for you. And, ooh, he was not happy. Oh, uh, you know, that happens. Yeah, well, screw that guy. I would, I think if I ever got a commission, I, I would just walk up and ask to be painted like one of one, one of your French girls. Do you I know? Just, I just want to see the reaction to that of anybody. Well, I hate to tell you, but ever since that movie came out, I'm pretty sure that if yeah. not all, almost all, all artists have at least heard it two or three times, if not more. And uh, and, it, and it's always the, you know, there, there are some things that you hear, um, one of which is always, did you really draw that as you're sitting there drawing it? Well, yes, moron, you're watching me do it. That's amazing. And then there's the um the 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 faux shock. Oh wow, I guess you are pretty good. Like what the hell does that even mean? Um and then, you know, friends of ours who think that they're clever and this, this is not directed at you at all. But at some point someone Oh, I've never thought I was clever. You want to Someone always says, you know, could you draw me like like when when the, when they go so you're an artist, and you say, well, yeah, and they're like, so you could draw me, and I said, well, I could, and then the, the response to that is almost always, could you draw me like one of your French girls, and I'm like, first of all, I'm half Asian, so there are no French girls, B, and then, you know, I say something like, and, and even if I did know, they, they wouldn't belong to me, so I don't own any French girls, so they're technically not my French girls. Oh, I see, you go on the semantical. Oh, yeah, and it just completely, like, when you say something like that to an artist, nine times out of ten, the look on our face is, like, just no expression. We're looking at you like, did you really just say that? Been See, in our that's head? why I'd never really do it. It was just in my <laughs> head that it would be clever to say it to you, and I'm going to edit all of this out so I don't look dumb. <laughs> you are a very smart man. Shh, don't let that get out. Then they expect things from you. I won't tell anyone. Good. But, yeah, I mean, I've only, I did, like I said, I did MomoCon this year, um, yeah. got invited. And then I got a thing to request the press pass for DragonCon, and it's the same weekend that I am going to Florida. 
I'm sorry. It's the exact same weekend. And I was yeah. like, I was like, well, let's see, 200,000 people stuffed into three buildings or a beach where most of the country is already back in school. So I chose the beach that's probably going to be extremely empty Monday through Friday that week. You know. Like I said, being a Boston boy, I need to see the ocean at least once a year. And I'm not giving that up for anything. I really hate my speakers. <laughs> I don't know why they keep cutting out. It's weird. So are, are you still doing... Um, are, are you still doing cards or are you doing other art projects? Or um, both? Well, uh, I I actually am still doing cards. I, I'm taking a bit of a break. Um, okay. I... At at this point, almost nine years into it, I've done work for 23 different companies. Um, wow. And a lot of them are independent. So when when the card business kind of had a second boom around 2009, 2010, um, actually even a little earlier, probably around 2008 when I jumped in, um, you know, there was some oversaturation. Suddenly all these companies wanted to do cards. Um and, uh, you know, when we were kids, we we had things like holograms and, and gold foil and yep. stickers. Um, so the bulk of what I do is um, they're called sketch cards. Um, so the companies will produce, you know, a new set, and then they have this talent pool of artists that they will contact. And it's mostly independent contractor work. And they send us blank trading cards for us to draw original art on. So huh. 95% of what I do is actually drawn the size of a trading card. Um, those cards then must pass through uh, an approval process um, from the license holder, if there is one, like Marvel, DC, or Star Wars. And then if the cards are approved, uh, one original piece of artwork gets randomly distributed per box, you know, worldwide. Um, so when that really started to take off... Uh, you know, all these companies were, like, jumping on board and, and doing the same thing. Um, and so I've done a lot of fantasy and, and some cheesecake and some pinup projects on top of it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so the major properties, of course, were Marvel, DC, Star Wars. I've done uh, one Star Trek project. I've done Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Cool. Um, yeah, and then I've done some older stuff, like Vampirella and Red Sonja. Um I've done wow. some Lady Death projects. So a lot of really awesome, you Aww. know... Lady yeah, Death. yeah, nerd properties uh, that have a good following, and then you know some other stuff that's just kind of like I, I've done. I, I did a project that was based on uh, sea life, and then one on insects, and then one on uh, like uh, space and planets and oh, Netflix, cool, like that. Yeah, so uh, I got really burnt out. Um, when I first started, we were required to do anywhere from a hundred to two hundred images per project. And we were given anywhere from three to six months on average, you know, to get all those blank cards done and turned in. Right. But I I was living alone at the time. Uh, my roommate then had abandoned me in the house that we were renting, so I really panicked. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to pay my bills. So I was just taking on as much work as possible and ended up creating this momentum for myself that worked really well for my career because people, you know, relied on me and, and depended on me to get my work done. But that ended up being all I could do. I, I wasn't right. seeing anyone and I didn't, you know, I wasn't raising a family. So I had all the time to invest in it, but 
I mean, I was going to dinner with my friends and sitting at the table drawing while we were supposed to be hanging out, having, you know, friend time together. Um, uh, I was missing out on things. And then I started going to conventions and traveling. So over the course of the next couple of years, I just got so exhausted um, that last year when I moved, I made it a point to really scale my workload back. And I also, I have a, a metric ass ton of commissions I need to finish for people who have been amazingly patient um, and, and <laughs> waiting, waiting for me to get to their, you know, to get to their work. Um, and I'm so appreciative of those people because they understand that, you know, sometimes art is a process and you don't just wake up and turn into a machine and crank it out. You know, sometimes you really have to put your heart That's to what she said. Yeah. Funny, funny. So... Um, I did just finish a Marvel project uh, for Upper Deck, which was released a couple weeks ago. It's called Marvel Premiere, um, and it's more of a high-end project. Uh, they do these gatefold uh, sketch cards, which basically are folded like an accordion, and then when they're laid completely out, it's like a four-panel masterpiece. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, and then um, I just finished an independent project for my friend Axbone uh, called Steamy, which is pinups based on, like, steampunk kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been... So, like, Betty Page and Welder Goggles, or, like... Um, I actually did a Betty Page project in 2010 for a company that did that one project and then vanished. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we tend to stay away from intellectual properties when we do these independent projects. No, I, I was just being snarky because you said pinups with steampunk and I was like, so I'm like, sure there are people who used reference of some well-known models for stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause steampunk, the, it's usually so overdressed. Yeah. And I was like the pinups, it would be like a pinup girl with like just goggles on or. Yeah. Um, Some weird Victorian dress that has a wind-up key in the back. I uh, I try to, you know... I don't know as, as punk a, culture very much, <laughs> you can tell. As a girl, I do try to, like, you know... So I, I, I try to hang with the guys and hold my own, but I also don't always, you know, just draw a bunch of half-naked tarts with giant right. tops. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I try to, you know, I try to incorporate you know, the the theme of the set, but I also still try to make my pinups look respectable, if that makes sense. Like, I Oh, would, yeah, no, totally. There like, There is a graceful I, I way to do that. Playboy pinups as opposed to Hustler. <laughs> right, yeah, there there's a graceful way to do that. Yeah. Um, I and, and I'm actually one of the few females, I think, that doesn't always think that a curvy woman or a voluptuous model is a bad representation of femininity if it's done right. Um, exactly. I think, you know, people are taught to be afraid of, you know, certain types of overt sexuality because if that's all they see and that's all that's shoved in their face, pardon the pun, then, you know, there's a definite, you know, distaste that develops out of that. But I actually think that a, a strong, beautiful woman, if she's presented in the right way, can be sexy and be beautiful, but also still be very powerful. Because I think there's something in, intimidating about a woman who is aware of of her, I, guess, I don't want to say attractiveness, because it makes it sound shallow. But no, it, it, it doesn't. 
you know, it, it, it's there's a difference between a beautiful woman who relies on her beauty and a beautiful woman who knows she's beautiful but also knows she's more than that. Who actually has a character. Yes. And a personality. And so, so when I draw, especially when I draw female pinups of any kind, comic book or otherwise, I, I always try to draw them in a way that, you know, yeah, they're physically fit because they can lift a tank over their head and hurl it through a brick wall. Um but they also don't just look like a beautiful girl in a spandex outfit. You know what I mean? Right. No, yeah, no, I, I totally get exactly what you're, yeah. what you're saying. I, I never, um, I don't know. I, I, I was going to say that, that that's never mattered to me, but I know that on Twitter right now there's like this firestorm around this one guy who apparently constantly talks about how he likes his curvy wife or girlfriend and apparently women are getting mad in droves well they're like why does he constantly have to use the word curvy and uh, and and he does overuse it like if you look it's like yeah it's get kind of pandery and douchey but like i I was gonna say for me i i like that um, yeah but you know i don't want to come off like that dude that everyone's just like I don't know. I don't want to sound like I'm mansplaining. Splaining, splaining. <laughs> well, I, I did see that yesterday, and, and I, I did see a couple different posts of his that had been um, shared or tweeted or whatever. I've been um, I've been on Twitter more than I more than I had been in a while, and so I'm seeing it's, it's funny all the things we're talking about. I'm, I'm relating back to Twitter, um, but. When someone has to keep using the same word or terminology or verbiage to make the same point over and over, it feels more contrived and put on than gen. That's what I mean, yeah. And and I think that maybe is why some of the girls are up in arms over it because it's like, you know, yeah, sure, if you like a curvy woman, more power to you. And And I'm a bigger girl myself, so I certainly appreciate a guy who, you know, doesn't look for just a stick figure or a model. But when you make such a big deal about it, it then becomes a thing, not just a genuine taste or preference. It's like right. a badge of honor you're wearing. And I think that was the thing with this guy in particular. He really seemed to like be trying to win brownie points by reminding everyone that, you know, look at me, I'm different. I love big women. Okay, well, good for you. I like hot dogs and I prefer mine without relish. And some people like, you know, relish on theirs. Who gives a crap? I do. You don't like relish. This conversation's over. Okay, bye. That's it. I'm scrapping it. Shut it down. No, um, no I, I trust me. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I just, I pull from Twitter a lot because I'm on there to find people like you and, and my other guests to talk to. Yay. And you have to wade through this, like, wellspring of ridiculous nonsense. Yeah. To get through it. Like, I saw an article yesterday, and I actually... It, you you follow me now, but you, 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 you'll you see it. Um, I don't hide the fact that I lean more right just because I think I, I am not a Trump supporter. You'll, you'll see me rip him apart plenty. Um, yeah. But the country gets what it deserves. You want to worship celebrities? Of course, the jackass that's on TV won. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, you know, uh, we had, you know, we had crap candidates all around. Um, but the one who was on TV won. Yay, yeah. America's love of the cult of personality. Um, but I, I, I lean right on more of the um, 
the government really doesn't need to exist in 90% of the capacity it is. Don't tell me how to defend my own family. And, you know, it's stuff like that. And, and all this, this left-wing, right-wing stuff that gets in the middle um, and just screams the loudest. So that seems to be the only opinions that people have. And, and then you see people who just like, she's like, that's the hill I'm going to die on today. It was yeah. like the one yesterday was like, guess who's still talking in movies? White guys. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> There are literally people being raped, murdered, persecuted, and others sold into slavery right now. And all I'm seeing on Twitter is everybody reacting to white guys talking movies. Like, yeah. we get it. Like, I, 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 I have had to work my entire life. My parents barely had two nickels to rub together. They had enough to feed us and get us through public school. I have worked my entire life. I went straight from high school into the military into doing renaissance festivals where I didn't even do the fun stuff. I didn't dress up, and I didn't talk in a funny accent. I wore my clothes and did security and kicked out drunk people who thought that hot weather and giant flutes of beer were a good idea. Um, <laughs> you know, and then I did construction during the week. Like, I didn't even have the week off like the rest of those drugged-out hippies that do renaissance festivals. That they, like, yeah. you know, I sell leather and roses and whatever on the weekends and say prithy a lot. And then during the week, I like to drink and put as many substances in my body as possible um, in the campground behind the fence that exists at every single Renaissance festival. Yeah. Um, you know, and then after that, you know, I did commercial fishing in Florida. Uh, you know, I've always worked um, labor jobs and this and that. So, like, this whole thing where, like, I don't know where all this I have all the benefits in the world conversation comes from anyway. I'd never understand that. Because um, if I'm supposed to have all this privilege, I I'm owed a crap ton of back money and <laughs> power because um, I don't have any. And, like, I guess the reason why I bring it up on the shows more and more is because I see it infiltrating um, pop culture and the escape that is supposed to be entertainment. Um, I see it infiltrating more and more and more. And, and to me, it's like this really dark cloud on the horizon that nothing good can come out of. And I, I just don't want to see it completely take over the only way to get away from how stupid the real world is. You know? Yeah. I, know. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying and can certainly see a lot of it. Um, but I also know that things happen in waves and that there are right. peaks and valleys. Um, and when you have, you know, other people like you or I who also believe in, you know, the the power and the the reward of hard work and, and being, you know, um, being more of a go-getter than a, than a victim. Um, I also think, though, that there is a level of uh, patience and understanding that I have to employ uh, when dealing with those people, because, uh, and this could apply to any situation, you know, not everybody is raised or, or brought up the way that we were. And certainly younger right. people who come from this generation of, you know, having so much information at their fingertips and not having to, you know, actually dig through the Dewey Decimal System to look something up like we did as kids. Um, Bernard, you, she's a witch! You know, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, they, some things get taken for granted a little more easily. Um well, yeah, we live in a world full of Google geniuses now. Um, but I also think that, you know, even with 
uh, even with convenience and technology, you know, there are still pitfalls and drawbacks. Right. Uh, and those of us that, you know, know how to work around or work without this convenience, you know, we'll be the ones teaching those assholes who don't know how to do it. Uh, right. You know, hey, so when this fails, you could try this. <gasps> you're, you know, and then they're like, oh, my God, you're my God. How, how, to, how, to, how would I live without you? Well, you know, it's called get, go outside, <laughs> scrape your knees up, you know, do something other than sit on the computer all day. Right? It's like you have zero immune system. Do you realize you are always sick because you just live in recycled air and you haven't really seen a sun? Yes. Except for going to the car to get a Frappuccino and then back. Um, yeah, like, and, and I don't want to get off on, on Bash. I, I am one of those people where if we go down that road, I will skip it like Dorothy <laughs> till, till the end of the day on how much everything sucks right now. I... Uh, I, I was talking about it the other day, and I always say I feel like a really old man looking backwards already, and I don't like that because I am only 36, and right. I feel like I'm 66. Like, the world is moving really fast, and it almost seems like you can become irrelevant a lot faster um, than you used to, you know? Like... I can't get on board this train with you because this train sounds crazy. You're all always crying. Yeah. Like, so if this is where society is going, this is my station. And I will learn to be the old guy that lives in that station. Yeah. And you guys can pause to come and get a concession uh, on this stop and stare at the weird old man who's shaking his fist at everything. And then get back on your cry train and enjoy an entire life of victimization and entitlement. That's the way I like, that's that's like my outlook on the world right now is like I think socially I'd like to become a hermit on a mountain and just take pot shots at people who get too close to my shanty. Because it's quiet in my shanty and no one cries about everything. I just like that you use the word shanty. I have a couple. Yes, I have noticed. I have a couple shanties and one or two murder barns. Um, murder barn, okay. Yeah, I mean, come on, you're in Mississippi now. I used to have to cover the uh, the Huntsville market for the retailer I work for, uh-huh. and there's a lot of stretches of highway where there's like this decrepit barn out in the woods, and you're like, somebody died in there. And it's yeah. called a mur- that's a murder barn. That's like no one can hear you scream. And nobody cares what happens in this broken down building because they don't think anybody's in here. So it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Like, <laughs> you know, a murder barn. I gotcha. I, I only have a couple. I use them to play operation with homeless people. But that's, you know. The, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that that like, took a second to register. Yeah. You know. Oops, butterfingers. But no, like... I don't know. I, I just see, like, a lot of the stuff that makes the real world gross and annoying working yeah. its way into my way out of that for a little while. And I find it a little disconcerting, honestly. No, I, I can certainly see that. But I also think, on on the flip side, and, and maybe just to be a little objective about it, you of know... Course. I remember as a kid, you know, comics were escapism for me, and um, I could definitely lose myself and, and, you know, really just spend hours reading the same story over and over again just because there were so many great moments 
back then. Not that there aren't any now, but I think that if it's done right, you know, even though there are some things leaking in, conversely, there are a lot of important messages that could be made and, and gotten across the same way. Um, right. You know, kind of like, let's bring it all back around to the X-Men. Um, you know, the need for diversity in, in some instances and, and, and the beauty and the power that that could have if it's done right. Um you know, and, and even social commentary. Uh, there have been some really great moments is, moments that I've seen in, in some Avengers comics. Um, and, and even like the whole, you know, family aspect of Fantastic Four. You know, how do you save the universe and raise kids or, you know, whatever else. Um, right. Uh, because a lot of people now really only want to think in those binary black and white terms. You know, black and white, gay or straight, male or female, and they forget that there's this whole beautiful gray area in between. And comics really kind of, I think, exist in a lot of that, a lot of times. Um, But I think they always have. That's why I don't understand this, like, outward societal push on comics in particular. Now, I can see it in TV shows and movies and even video games, which purport themselves to be diverse media, but comic books have always been, to me, the most diverse form of entertainment ever. Right. You know? But but what I'm saying is, is because of that, I don't think that it's going to completely change to the things that we're seeing we don't like. I think that there's always going to be, you know, that that awesome gray area. Uh, Just to kind of remind people, you know, maybe you should look at it from this perspective, or not from the one you're used to. Right. And it would be really nice if we could educate people that there's more than one perspective again. Because I think everybody, no matter what side they're lining up on, yeah, it, it all becomes a hill to die on. You know, and I, I know I used that analogy before, but really, I mean, if you look at it, it literally becomes a hill for these people to die on. They, they don't want to debate you. They don't want to think that we may even come to the same conclusion. We may just take a different path around this, this hill yeah. to get there. And, and, you know, like... It's almost impossible to, to. I love when I have a debate like that with somebody, and, and you can, and you can laughingly say, "But at the end of the day, we can all agree that Batman kicks ass." And that's the way I, I try <laughs> to diffuse it. You know, when when it does go toxic, I, and it's somebody that's worth my time to not completely like burn their bridge down so they can't come near me anymore. Um, you yeah, know, I always try to do that. Like at the end of the day, everybody wants the same things. You know, food, shelter, a feeling of safety, a feeling that they're not alone. You know, yeah. like, but it's become like this, almost like World War One style trench warfare for, for ideas and opinions now, where it's like, well, I'm not going to move, and you're not going to move, and every once in a while we'll gain maybe six inches yeah. before we have to retreat to our trenches again, but this is how I'm going to live the rest of my life, and I'm like, that's freaking miserable. Like, I love people who actually can exchange in a free conversation, because it's becoming, sadly, more and more of a much rarer commodity, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Until you get away from the screen. Now, these same people who live and die on these hills on Twitter, if you meet them face-to-face, are much more open to have a conversation. Yeah. And they're much less willing to get um, toxic, because when somebody actually can punch you in the face, um, you remember that you were raised with some form, you know, some modicum of manners. Yeah. And, and respect. Uh I, one of my friends sent a meme to me uh, a while ago, and it made me laugh. And it it was this this tiny kid standing in front of this giant kid. 
and the tiny kid is using like all these homophobic and racial epithets in this in this insult to this kid while like yeah da 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 and I banged your mom. And underneath <laughs> it, it said, this was the day that Johnny forgot he wasn't on the internet. Oh. <laughs> right. Like, exactly. Like, I'm going to say all these horrible, horrible things to you. And then I forgot that I'm not separated by screen and I'm not anonymous and I can put up any avatar what I, of, you know, <laughs> of who I am and, yeah. and say all these horrible things to you. And I guarantee you, like, if you were to meet them in person, they'd be like, oh, snap. Like. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Like, I think a lot of those conversations w- would be diffused. I don't know. I, I, I think it's funny. I, I just, I don't know. The world's a funny place to me right now. Like, it's the golden age for entertainment. And it's the golden age of, like, me and you seeing the things from our childhood getting revived and done well. And, you know, it always seems like there's a new franchise coming out or, or there's a franchise that we loved that is getting a new treatment. And yeah. Pop culture is everywhere, and music, you know, 80s music is coming back because today's music doesn't need to be mentioned. And, like, like all this stuff is happening, and it's this golden age, and it's like people almost seem more miserable all the time now. And it's like, don't you understand that if this was the world that an 8-year-old me got to live in, I would literally just live in the physical embodiment of Willy Wonka's World of Pure Imagination song. Like, there's a DC cinematic universe. There's a Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, there's, like, five different DC TV shows that are on nightly during a regular, you know, broadcast schedule year. Um, you know, you can flip over to other channels, and there's other comic book shows on. Netflix has all this and that. Stranger Things exists. Like... We have yeah. all this stuff, and it's like, people just seem so sad, <laughs> like, today. And, and it's like, eh, I don't know, it's a pretty good time to be alive to me. It is, if you're a nerd, for sure. Right. And that's why I want all this stuff that we're talking And I didn't mean to bring the episode down, I'm just saying it, like, I feel like Orwell or Bradbury, when they were writing their anti-socialist, anti-communist, anti you know, books in, in the 50s and the 30s and the 40s, you know, like, they were screaming these warnings, and now here we are, you know? And then I, f- I almost feel like the same way, like, let's leave some things pure and, and leave them alone and and let them be what they are. And if you're not always screaming and, and discontent, it leaves room for artists like you. It leaves room for artists, you know, to just do their art and then you get more things to enjoy unbridled by all the ick that you enjoy it, that, that, that you use to escape that for the things you enjoy. You know what I mean? Like, let art be art, and let entertainment be entertainment, and yeah. it can always have a message, but right now, both sides' messages suck. Yeah, well, you I know, think... You know, like... <laughs> no, I agree, and I think that a lot of it is just because, you know... People either want everyone else to think or they either want everyone to think or believe the same way or think as they do, or they feel that, well, if this group gets attention, my group should get attention. So then it becomes a battle for, you know, who, whose voice is the loudest or who gets heard the most or more often. Um, right. I'm more of a protected class than you, sucker. 
Yeah, and it, it's <laughs> like, you know, there, no one is trying to find either a common ground or, or any kind of, like, equal footing for everyone. It's, no, my, my, my cause is more important than yours. You suck. You shouldn't have a voice. It's these tactics that, you know, employ division and, and right. make people lesser rather than, you know. There, there's a girl that I follow on Twitter. She and I have never met, but, you know, regularly she posts things about, you know, building people up and, like, women standing together and, and supporting each other. You know, even just so much as saying, you know, hey, girl, you look beautiful today. You know, just a kind word rather than, you know, seeing something you don't like and then putting it on social media and bashing a stranger because for some reason that's more important. Um, and, and I really appreciate when I see her. I, I really appreciate when I see her tweet because she kind of reminds me that, you know, there are still some people out there who get it, who, who are more... Right interested in making someone else's day or, or just saying a kind word, then, you know, here's my five minutes of woe is me. Everyone needs to drop what they're doing and, and fight for my cause or make me feel better about myself. And here's what I ate for dinner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. And I, I wasn't even trying to minimize what, you know, I wasn't trying to minimize what you were saying. I was, you were spot on and dead accurate that that really needs to become the new social narrative because it is that it's, it's the, I'm a victim, and then mixed with, like, narcissism. So it's like, well, how can you be a victim if literally everything you do down to what you eat for dinner is so awesome and newsworthy at the same time? I agree. Right? It's very contradictory. It is. But that's why we love the things we love, and we have the things that we have. Yes. Because... That makes us the happies, and it makes us forget that most of the world is, as King Arthur called it in the Holy Grail, a silly place. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I always, yeah, like, so where can the peoples find you? Um, well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both um, under the same name, at Rhiannon Druitt, um... I have a Facebook page just for my art. The the Facebook page is www.facebook.com backslash dangerousbeauty724. Um, wow. And you can even just type my name in on eBay and see, you know, some of the cards pop up on the secondary market. Uh, or, or Google my name. I'm, I'm really not hard to find. I have a DeviantArt page that I haven't kept up with in the last couple of years. I, I do have a profile on comic art fans as well under Rian and Owens. Um, cool. But really I've been using uh, I've been using Twitter more than anything. Um, I try to post on Instagram at least two or three times a week, if not every day, every I have been on Twitter a lot lately, um, which is how we met just a couple days yep. ago. Uh, I am a I generally do three or four shows a year faithfully. I'm always at Denver Comic Con. Um, I try to make Dragon Con in Atlanta every year. Uh, I used to do Mega Con until they were bought out and they moved the show to Memorial Day weekend, so it's harder for me to get to now. Um, I also try to go to Heroes Con in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina as well. Um, but I haven't been able to make that show the last two years because I moved. <clears throat> um I guess the best way to get a hold of me is just probably write.
would be Twitter and Instagram, um, just because I use them more often than anything. Cool. Yeah. I well, I um, I always say the same thing uh, when I end the show. I always do an open door with people who are gracious enough to come on. Um, you know, anytime you want to come back on, if you have a project come up, um, you know, if if you want to get some attention on something you might be working on. All you have to do is reach out, and I would love to make room and have you back on. Sweet. I appreciate right. it. Yes, Mario. 